And it's not necessarily about taking everybody out of your life, but about you being real intentional about where you're going to spend your the most of your energy and shifting that energy. And that is a lot of the work, right? If you inevitably come to the decision that one of these relationships just needs to be out of your life, then that's a kind of long road. And you really have to sit with that. And what does that mean for you? And you need to visualize, and I talk about this all in that chapter, of course, but visualize what is life like without this person? Am I comfortable with that? And really kind of sit in that space. And once you've done that work, that is the hard work. But the, the next thing, and I think why people don't do it, is just the beginning of the conversation. How do I find the words to even lead into this conversation, right? Because we never do this. Welcome back to the North Star podcast. Today, I have the lovely Erin Falconer on the show. And I am really excited to share this episode with you guys. She's truly such a wealth of knowledge and a engaging, captivating speaker. I know you guys are really going to enjoy learning from her and just listening to her share stories and wisdom about friendships. So we talk in this episode about the importance of friendships. Honestly, guys, I this is not talked about enough. And that's why I'm so grateful that Aaron's work is out there in the world. I'm so grateful that she was on the show. Because friendships are huge to health. And Aaron does share about that and how it's evident in research, for example, on the blue zones. And also, guys, like just considering how we feel after we spend really nourishing time with our friends. It's evident to me, and I'm sure to you, you know, provided you've hopefully in my heart, I hope that you've had experiences with friends that have really filled up your cup and just left you, you know, it's buzzing. It's such a wonderful feeling to have that connection with a friend. Um, so much so that I say this with my hand on my heart, because I'm so grateful to the friends of my life. And but I also have been there and I also understand that not all friendships feel like this. And so that's something that we talk about in this episode. Erin shares about how she's had the pattern in her life wherein somebody would cancel on her and she would be relieved. I know I've certainly had that situation in my life as well a lot a lot in fact honestly I would say that was like most of my life until until somewhere in my mid-20s I, I can't pinpoint it right now but 100% high school all of that time when I don't honestly know how much I've shared on this podcast but I absolutely was not connected deeply to anybody until really I, 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 I pause it because I, I can't think of the age off the top of my head, but clearly it's a part of my own personal inward journey, which began somewhere around, I want to say 23 or 22, at which point, once you get to know yourself better, you get to truly acquire soul friendships. And so anyway, that like I just really resonated and really appreciate again, Aaron, for this work. And I think you guys will resonate with this as well, because I do know that um yeah, until recently, I mean, 
now like the Sound of Lute and the Estee Lalonde episodes are definitely the most loved. But for a long, long time, the solo episode on how to build friendships or how to make friends as an adult was like the number one episode that I had. And I think that this one will eclipse it because Aaron has like really just put so much thought and experience into this work. And so we do talk about that. We do talk about um, garnering new friendships as an adult, but we also talk about assessing the friendships that you currently have and how to make them better and putting in the the work, prioritizing them because they do give us back so much when we do have those nourishing relationships. Um, and what I was going to say is that I love that Erin speaks to our own personal responsibility because just as I was saying, I never had friendships until I really knew myself, which again, just makes sense. Um, this is the way of the world. You know, we, it's, it's just not really possible to know someone deeply until you know yourself. And so, yeah, so Aaron speaks about like that part of the whole thing, like getting to know what it is that, how it is that you want to feel in relationship. And honestly, I just, I can only just iterate this from the bottom of my heart. This is so important. And honestly, even just considering this, because like, I remember the first while that I started to consider, like, I wonder, like, maybe this way that I'm feeling in my friendships, like, isn't, you know, maybe there is another way. Like the first time you consider anything in your life, like maybe there is another way is such a light bulb moment, whether that's like in career, like maybe there's actually a job that doesn't give me like the Sunday blues. Maybe there's a job that, okay, yeah, like I'm going to enjoy my weekend and maybe I'll mourn a little bit the le- like the leisure and all of that, which is like so normal. But like maybe there's a job that like, well, make me still like when I wake up Monday morning, it's like, oh, but I get to go do that thing. Right. And it's this like thought that maybe things could be more aligned, more nourishing. And I remember having that thought with, um, well, I don't precisely remember the moment, but I remember that period of time and this shift as it was happening, as more aligned souls were coming into my life. And, and what happened was that once I got really aligned friendships entering my sphere, my orbit, my cosmos, my my world, I started to be able to compare and contrast and not in like a negative way, like, oh, this person's a bad person or whatever. It's just like this friendship isn't as aligned. And I can tell that now because I have true joy and excitement and love when I think about getting together or just spending any sort of time, even if it's just um, through a text exchange with this soul that is really meant for me at this point in my life versus as Aaron spoke to in this episode tonight, and I'll let you guys dive in in a moment, but as Aaron spoke to with, you know, that, oh, like, you know, like I, I'm actually happy that this person canceled and really looking at that because again, I think that if you're, if you've been habituated as I was like, just probably honestly due to the sheer fact that you don't get a lot of choice, right? When you grow up in childhood, like you don't get choice with who you surround yourself with. And so you kind of just take what you can, which is 
you know, it's survival. It is what it is. But it's like, if you haven't actually been blessed with the opportunity to have those deep connections when you were young, whether that's because of, you know, the people weren't perfectly aligned or because you didn't do the deeper work, which, you know, which, which like five-year-old or, you know, even 10, 15-year-old has done. I mean, surely in this day and age, I don't know, but the new generation, they, it might be the case, but I'm like 30 this year and it just wasn't the case back when I was in high school. So because of that, I just didn't know. And I'm sure many of you relate to this. Like, I just didn't know what it felt like to just really love my friends. Like I wrote about this in a blog post years ago, like, like 2016 or 17 or something. If you go back on my website on back in the early days of the blog, like when it was very personal, um, you can actually read about this because I wrote about how I always felt like friendships were burdens. And I believe I actually probably shared this post when I was really coming into this period in time. So maybe I'll link that in the show notes. It might be interesting for you guys to read if you're curious. Um, but yeah, I always just had this feeling growing up like friendships were a burden. And Aaron really opens this episode with talking about looking at your responses, your reflections, your thoughts, your feelings with respect to the friendships in your life and kind of taking that as a jumping off point. So Without further ado, my loves, I am going to let you dive right on into this episode with the lovely Erin Falconer, author of How to Break Up with Your Friends. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Introduce yourself, whatever comes to mind, whatever feels resonant for you. And I would also, um, on the tail end of that, just love to hear a little bit about what you were like as a kid. As a kid, sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So my name, as you know, is Erin Falconer. I am a therapist and an author, and in a past life was a digital entrepreneur. Uh, I was very much in the startup world. Uh, I'm Canadian, uh, but I live in Los Angeles. Um, what else am I doing? I, yeah, I'm currently working on scratching together some ideas for book three, and um yeah that's about it and when I was little I well there were two two parts to me I was when I was very little like pre-grade four I was extremely shy and introverted and um and then after that and then in grade four I had a teacher kind of draw attention to the fact that I was very shy. And she called my parents in and said, you know, we got to do something about this because we can tell she's really smart, but she's, you know, she's just very, very introverted. And I had, I used to have really, well, I still have very long hair, but it used to kind of, you know, I'd hide behind my hair. And so the teacher told my parents, I want her to come to school with a French braid every day, like hair completely off where she can't like pull out a ponytail or something like that. And it totally changed my life. So not being able to hide behind hair, like I kind of stepped into a new confident version of myself and then went into super overachiever, you know, type A class president, school president, valedictorian, like that kind of vibe. And, and actually in my first book, I talk a lot about, um, you know, how to change that type A narrative in yourself 
but anyways, yeah. So I kind of, there was a dichotomy there. I went from super shy to super like, I wouldn't say extroverted. I'm, I'm, I was still an introverted person, but like confident and um, a real super achiever. Wow. That's really interesting. And since you're, since you are a therapist, I would actually love to know your thoughts like on that method, if you will, of telling Mm -hmm. or having the kid pull their hair back. Do you think that that, first of all, like how did that land with you? And also, do you think that would always be a good way of going? I think it's interesting. I've never heard. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's certainly worth a shot, you know, and I think it's, it is person specific, kid specific, but I think this teacher was just particularly noticing mannerisms in me where like when I would get called upon on class, like I would kind of like nod my head and have the hair come over, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but it really did give me nowhere to hide. And I think I did have this confident, um, person within me. And I think probably the teacher could sense something like that. Um, it, it could theoretically be, you know, psychologically speaking, if somebody's really hiding and stuff like that, it could be trauma based, you know, as opposed to just being shy. So pulling the hair back, I think could be like jarring without the appropriate, like mm-hmm. handhold a lot, really getting to what's going on, you know, mm-hmm. it caused a lot of tension between me and my, my my mom, because every morning my head was being yanked back in this French bread. So getting ready in the morning became contentious, Mm -hmm. but honestly, it was like a light switch went off and, um, it, I feel like it really changed the course of my life. I, I probably would have ended up somewhere close in a way to where I am, but I don't think the path would have been as enjoyable interesting that's that's really interesting so like that transition like specifically you think yeah spoke to I yeah it it it, I definitely I it it was twofold like I think it was that the impact of just not of having to kind of like face things and like oh wait I do have the answer to the question I can say you know but I also think that it was the care and time that the teacher took to like notice this single this out you know to have to sit down with my parents who are lovely and amazing and you know so everything was great at home there was nothing there was no reason why I should have been this you know introverted but the fact that the teacher took the time to really identify this and then kind of manage it also made me feel kind of special and like I think that also kind of what bolstered my my confidence, you know, because you, when you're shy and you're that little, you think like nobody's even noticing you, you know, like you could kind of just disappear and nobody would notice. And so that was like, oh no, I've been watching you and studying you and believe in you. And so all of that messaging, I think also was very helpful. Yeah. That's, that's so fascinating. Cause I think it's really applicable. Like just like a little thing, like or seemingly little thing right yeah that can have such a massive impact on of course as you were saying there was a dynamic between you and your teacher that was that was changing things for you but also just the fact that you do this thing whether it's I mean a lot of people talk about the way that you dress or the way that you stand or all of this but I don't often hear the one about the hair and I'm noticing now that your hair is pulled back and I wonder (laughs) like is that something that carried with you throughout your life you know it's really funny that you should say that Um, so I cannot stand having my hair down. I've got like long, very nice, 
and I'll do it some, you know, once in a while, I'll pull it down. But when I, it's down, I feel very uncomfortable. I feel like it's always falling in my face. Like I'm always having to like adjust. Um, so my hair is up all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in fact, friends don't even know that I have like really long hair <laughs> because so it's never down. Yeah. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. So, okay. So speaking of your friends, like what was your dynamic? Like, like what was the inspiration behind you writing a book on breaking up with friends or noticing your dynamics with friends? Like how did this bubble up from within? Yeah. So I, um, as I mentioned, I wrote, uh, I have a first book and that's very rooted in the female empowerment, uh, female productivity space. And I was looking for a follow-up, um, book and I was it was taking me months and months and I kind of went down you know dead end after dead end I was getting super frustrated my agent was getting super frustrated and <clears throat> I I just couldn't land upon anything that that felt sticky like where I wanted to spend a lot of time and I remember waking up one morning at like 6 a.m half awake, half asleep. That's way earlier than I normally wake up. So, and this phrase, how to break up with your friends was just in my brain. And I was like, what is this? And I tried to go back to sleep. Couldn't really over the course of the next couple of days, it just kept this idea, just this sentence or phrase just kept reappearing. And I was pushing it down, not going about my, my, life. And I, a couple of days later, I was sitting in a restaurant waiting for one of my really good friends who outwardly I would have described as like a best friend waiting for her to meet me at a restaurant and for lunch. And she is famously chronically late. And I was sitting there waiting for her and I was getting so infuriated and and she's not like five minutes late. She's like half an hour late. Usually, you know, like, like, it's not like, uh, in, in LA, you know, everybody's five minutes late or early. Cause you can never exactly okay. gauge the traffic and stuff like that. So that's fine. But this is like substantially late. And for a lunch, half an hour late is very late. You know, it's just, these things don't tend to linger right there in the middle of the day. So I'm sitting there and I'm getting so, so, so bothered. And I started to look at that and I was like, wow, your level of irritation here is like, or anger is really kind of outweighing the crime. You know, if if you look at it at least in isolation, it's like, okay, so somebody's late, but I was so mad. And so I started to look at that and I was like, how come I am so mad? And as I started to kind of look at the, like, when did this happen? Where did this start? I kind of quickly went through the landscape of our friendship as I was sitting there. And I realized I kind of had this epiphany, like that this big chasm had grown between the two of us, which was really kind of a shocking thing for me, because again, outwardly, I would have been like, Oh, it's just like my best friend. Like one of my best friends, you know, we've known each other forever, like decades. So, um, and I was like, wait a second, what's going on here. And I think, So there was that like kind of epiphany, but then the greater kind of light bulb thing was like, how come this is the first time I'm doing this, you know, critically looking at this relationship. And then I, so then I started to say, well, what about my other friendships? Like, what about, and inevitably my friend arrived. And so I had to kind of put a pin in it. And then when I got back home, I started to look at 
all of the other kind of close first tier friendships in my life. And I was really surprised to find that the way I would describe outwardly the relationship was different than what was actually going on. And there was a lot of irritation. There was a lot of there was a lot of joy, you know, with certain relationships and, and positive excitement. But there was also just a lot of numb and like indifference, which was actually the worst, right? Irritation is still like a living, breathing thing that you can work on, but numbness or indifference is really like, whoa. Like, so I, I stopped and I was like, this is really, really bizarre. Why is this? You know, we are a society that is obsessed with information about ourselves. You know, we know every gram of protein we consume, every calorie we wear, stupid watches to tell us how many steps we're taking every day. Marie Kondo has us holding up chairs and sweaters and asking if they bring joy. Um, and yet this group of relationships, friendships, we have like almost no eyes on. And I was like, this is really unbelievable. And so why is this? I started to think. And as I was looking at it, I kind of looked at it through a classic therapeutic lens or therapy lens. And in the world of therapy, you have individual therapy, couples therapy, um, family therapy, but there's no such thing as friendship therapy. And what that means to me, or started to mean to me as I looked at it, was that less that friend couples should run out and get a therapist, right? Although for long, long-standing friendships, it's actually not a bad idea at all. But more than that, it was that there was there is no collectively agreed upon language out there in the zeitgeist to help navigate conflict within these relationships. There's no kind of blueprint about how to get into new friendships, how to get out of existing friendships, or what even a really good fulfilling friendship should look like. And when you think about you know, romantic relationships or even family relationships, that's so clear, right? Like, you've got you all your expectations are kind of there for you to measure against to talk about other people with and get their opinion on like does this fit within the realm of normal does this fit like is this okay is this not and so there's a lot of process to talk about uh, you know these different types of relationships but there isn't really for friendships if you think about friendship conversations it's either they're kind of come off as gossipy or talking behind the other person's back, you know, if you're in friend group. Um, but never, it's never about talking directly to the person because it always feels so extra. Like, this is the last thing I need to deal with as a friend, a serious friend conversation. So we often just don't have the conversation. We minimize them, our feelings around it until it's too much. And then we have these big explosions and it's like, you're dead to me vibes. So anyways, that was like a 20 minute answer. To no, it's, <laughs> it's so true. And it's just making me think like, do you think the reason that there hasn't been a, a focus on it is just due to the sheer lack of prioritizing? Yeah. I think that this is the one category of French uh, of relationships where it's like, we view these relationships as nice to have, mm -hmm. right? as opposed to things to really work on. And, but the truth is any relationship that's worth its salt, um, you need to work on. 
Because if you're showing up authentically, consistently over and over again, you're going to have points of friction. There's no way two people can just constantly get along. Otherwise, if you are, you're not involved in any kind of like deep, you know, deeper level relationship. Right. And so the ability to like self-advocate in these relationships, create boundaries in these relationships and really fight for these relationships, the ones that are worth holding on to, um, we just don't, we just don't view them that way, right? They're supposed to just kind of feel good. And that is not the way real relationships work, not real foundational relationships. Anyways, we're leaving a lot of, a, a lot on the table um, when it comes to these, this category of relationship. And the thing is, as you know, I talk about in the book, I think it's the first, the first or second chapter this isn't, they aren't just nice to have. These relationships, when you look at them from a physiological, psychological, um, uh, emotional um, context, they're having tight, close friendships uh, expands your life, makes the quality of life better. From a mental health perspective, a stress perspective, greatly reduces stress and mental health uh, problems. Um, through having a sense of commitment with this particular group of friends. If you look at blue zones, um, which are the spots around the world where um, uh, length of length of life far exceeds the global average, uh, when sociologists and, and uh, scientists study these, these, I think there's like five or six spots around the world, top three on everybody's list is close friendships as to what they, why they ascribe having these longer, um, all the entire communities living substantially longer than the global averages. So, I mean, these aren't nice to have. They're actually really fundamental to um, not just living longer, but living much better. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because like when we experience those mo like those times with our friends, we feel it. Like we walk away and we feel like revitalized, like all of the good adjectives, really. Like we just feel so refreshed and renewed. Yeah, totally. And yeah, it's like we have amnesia or something after that because then like when we get really busy again, it's uh or totally. It's there was yeah, there was nobody when I was back in my startup days, there was nobody happier than me on planet Earth when I would get a text at like four o'clock uh, from a friend being like, I'm so sorry, I can't make it. You know, we're going to have to postpone tonight. I would be like, yes, like I got out of those plans. And when I looked at that, when, when I started to look at that behavior, when I was writing the book, I was like, you know, that's a really bad sign, right? It's either a bad sign for that relationship or it's a bad sign for my headspace about these types of relationships, right? It's It feels counterintuitive, but when life is busy and hectic, the first thing we do is like cancel, really like plans with friends. I can't make this drink. I can't do this. I can't, you know, I can't have dinner on Friday. I did it. I'm busy, I'm busy, I'm busy. But the fact of the matter is having meaningful moments of connection and engagement in a busy life is as is exactly what you need to fill your cup up, to feel re-energized, as you said, um, to uh, be able to attack the next busy day with a, a sense of fulfillment or happiness and just with a little more energy, right? And that's why it's so important you make sure that you have the right relationships in your life because if you're spending that very precious time with people that, 
you know, aren't showing up in the best way for you, or you're not showing up in the best way for you, for them, for the relationship, then those, those interactions can actually take energy and feel like more work. But with the right relationships in your life, being able to, you know, meet a friend, even if it's only for like, you know, 45 minutes, it doesn't have to be really long, but where you sit down, engage, connect with somebody can be so fulfilling. And again, be like the antidote to the exhaustion and stress of your very busy life. Yeah, a hundred percent. Did you presumably, but did you heal that, that pattern of thinking with yourself? With Yes. Yeah. And that's what all of this starts with, right? This is a book, obviously about it's relational. It's about relationships, but it always starts with you. It starts with the self, right? And so understanding, first of all, what your needs are, who you are. I always say you've got to have the answer to four fundamental questions, right? Which is who am I? Where am I? How did I get here? And where do I want to go? And until you have those four questions answered, and it's not something you just scratch down on a piece of paper, you've got to spend time with these questions, right? And really start to put together the picture of who you are. And then you look at, okay, now who's in my life? What relationships are in my life? Do those support how I want to be seen and how I want to show up in the world? And do I feel like where I'm at, I can support those relationships? And then you need to start making some choices, right? Um, but one of the things is, is that watching your own behaviors, watching your own, you know, I I hear a lot of, you know, in the pop psychology world, you know, one of the, the, the words, you know, du jour is boundaries, right? The thing is what we often do is we, we say like, when we get upset, we say, ah, she has no boundaries or she crossed my, you know, she, she crossed my brain. People are always talking about boundaries. The truth is a lot of us have not done the work to begin with, to understand what are our boundaries. We only know when something's been crossed, right? Like, cause it doesn't feel good, but we want to be really clear. What are my non-negotiables? What are my must haves? What are my will not do, right? Once you start really fundamentally understanding these things about yourself, then you can communicate those to the people in your life, either with words or just energetically and by actions, right? So not everything has to be a sit down talk with people. It's also can just be an energy shift within yourself. When you have clear clarity on these things, it, you know, that's half the battle, right? So, and in, and in that work is also looking, well, how have I showed up? How have I you know, drop the, you know, drop the ball or not participated in the best way. And so like that example of me being so elated that people would, you know, postpone a drinks meeting or whatever is, is like, was a real thing for me to go, okay, what that's no, that's, that's something's not aligned there. Let's dig a little deeper. And so the first stop of really helpful, fruitful relationships is the relationship and understanding you have with yourself. Yeah. 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 I love that you talk about that and that you speak about our role that we play because it is so, I guess it's maybe natural, like human, the way that we're wired to look at the outside world and to sort of point fingers versus look inward because it's it's easier and it's more obvious, but seemingly obvious. It's not even necessarily always true, I guess, to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Yeah. Well, another word I hear thrown around a lot, which just 
makes me crazy is the word toxic. And so people are always saying to me, like, he's so toxic. She's so toxic. They're so toxic. And the thing for me is, again, this relationships are relational, right? There is, it's very rare that the other person is like wildly, wildly toxic. Like it can happen if you have somebody, you know, that's going through that either is having a mental health problem or whatever. So it, it is possible. Um, it doesn't mean that the other person in the relationship isn't behaving badly, but I need to be clear that you are participating in that relationship. And by participating in that relationship, you are keeping whatever is happening alive. And often when you're these, when you're talking about, there's a, I, there's a toxic person in my life, that person often has other healthy relationships, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not blaming the victim like you, it doesn't, and it's not to say that the other person isn't doing bad things or things that aren't great, mm -hmm. but there's something that you are in you that is allowing this to exist, right? So you teach people how to treat you. And so the fact that you've, you allowed bad behavior, maybe once, twice, three times, and sometimes you don't even realize you're allowing bad behavior at the beginning, again, because you're unaware of what you what your needs are so you're kind of allowing behavior that might not feel right but you're not paying that much attention to it and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a dynamic with somebody that feels like they're either being mean or taking advantage or whatever and they might be but you've got to look at yourself and say how did I allow this to go on what in me needed to keep this going on right and so you have to take personal responsibility because that's where personal power lies, right? It's when you, we say, when we throw it all away and say, oh, the other person is toxic. That's why this didn't work out. It may be true. That other person might've been behaving badly within the relationship, but you cut off your own opportunity to understand yourself more deeply, your needs more deeply, and then be able to take those learnings into another relationship, right? And so nobody wants to take responsibility for anything because that's where the work is. And that's where you have to start looking at yourself. And people are, these days are inherently terrified mm -hmm. of spending any real time with themselves. Mm -hmm. And in fact, that's why people have a lot of friends that they don't really dig you know, yeah. it's just there are people in their lives that are filling time so that they don't have to sit down with themselves and go, no, what the heck is going on here? Let me figure out me. Oh and so God. they often end up in, in really mediocre relationships, friendships, and also other relationships. But for the point of this book, friendships um, <clears throat> that they and then they can spend time bitching about these relationships with others, because, again, that gives you something else to do as opposed to sit with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And at first, like when you were, when you were speaking, mm -hmm. I was thinking like, there must be a massive shift. And I don't know what, if you see a specific age, like with people that you work with, but I was thinking like that transition period, you know, between like college, university, whatever you went yeah. to and, and adulthood, because when you're in university, if you were around people that you were just going out with, for example, and then you start to mm -hmm. shift into yeah, choices. Yeah. And you're, you have limited time. Is it common that people are really like re 
like taking on like a whole new friendship or trying to find new friends, let's say at like 21 or certain stages of life, if not then. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, as we, you know, when we start as very young, we just go put on a playground and say, find somebody. And it's a very limited scope, right? You've got very little choice. There's 10 or 15 or 20, 30 kids, whatever. But it's like, this is your friend pool, make some friends, right? And then you figure out hopefully through elementary school, you know, how to like identify people that, you know, you might just like better, you don't, you know, whatever, but it's, again, it's very limited. It's very location specific. It's not choice-based really. It's like parents are dropping you off at play dates and, you know, and that's makes total sense. You're very young. When we get, we start getting into high school, you start to be able to see, okay, now who am I really like resonating with where, who, who, what groups am I interested in? Uh, But with high school still, there's a limited pool, right? Because you're stuck in a pretty small pool, you you know, you don't drive till later on. So it's like, you you, you know, you're reliant quite on, on location. And there's also the layer of like wanting to fit in and you're not quite sure who you are. You're figuring out who you are in those years. And so it's not, it's authentic because you're, you know, it's a process we have to go through, but it's not quite the liberty of like, then you get into college and you've got a lot more mobility parents are usually far in the back you can start really look you know experimenting with who you are what your curiosities are um but it's not really until you get out into the workplace um where you've again you've got a you've got a set kind of group of people that you're working with but those work relationships often do not translate into mm-hmm. after work people right so now you're in a now you're in the process of of carving out not only who you are as a person, but what your career is going to look like. And you don't have that safety net of there just being like, you know, hundreds or thousands of other kids like you doing what you're doing in that whole school trajectory. And so it also happens to be a big, big point of excitement in your life and a big, big point of stress, right? As you're like trying to navigate all these things. So friends are really important. The ability to find people that are having shared experiences that could maybe mentor you or that you just are, again, like having the exact same, going through life at the exact same kind of rhythm is really important. But that's when you have to start going out and seeking those people, especially if you don't live in the same town that you grew up in, right? Which was my case. I moved when I was 16. So it's not like you're relying on you know, your elementary school friends or even your high school friends, you still may have those friends, but this is when you start to carve out new friendships, right? Who really ideally are, you're drawn to because of who you are as a person, less for the first time in your life, less than anything else. And it's not location. It's not that you're, you know, so, so yeah, but we, and we see, I see major shifts or points of frustration in friendship with any big life change. So first jobs, first kind of career moves, um, that phase where people are dating and it seems to be moving into like the, now we're moving in together or getting engaged zone, right? Like it seemed, that seems to all kind of move. And then there'll be like a couple of outliers that it's like, they're not on that same path. And then there starts to be shifts and comparison of where you are in your life and where everybody else is in your life. 
And then of course, marriage, kids, and it goes on. And then the next kind of thing we see like that's open is once kids, this is all, and I'm talking about like really traditional paths here. So I want to, there's many, many nuanced versions of this. I'm just speaking generally on a very traditional thing. Um, But then you see when like the kids leave the house, there's now again, a new awakening and a new call to action. There can be to find friends in a really liberating way because you're not tied down to like soccer games and carpool friends you know um so but what we really saw and I think so I put this book together this idea that I talked about at the beginning and I put this whole pitch together and I sold this pitch uh February 23rd 2020 Mm -hmm. and I thought it was an important topic then Three weeks later, we were in national lockdown uh, because of the pandemic. And we all scattered into our little micro bubbles. And of course, the first group of people to go away was your friends, right? Because we could only be like, I'm seeing my mother and my son or my, you know, it was like the world got really, really, really small. And there was kind of this one of the I think the silver linings, the very few silver linings about this was that there started to be this forced reckoning about I can barely see anybody. Who do I really miss? Who do I not miss at all? This is so liberate. I think people have felt very, very liberated in the fact that like, oh, my God, I don't have to see so and so. And, you know, when you're getting the Zoom happy hour invites and it's like, no, pass. Or there were a couple that I was like, oh my God, yes, yes. I haven't seen you in like four weeks. Like, oh my God, how are you doing? Like, I really, you know, innately felt like I wanted to check in. And so there was kind of this, and then there was also the the extreme loneliness of if people were, you know, living by themselves and were all, you know, in a different town. And then they were literally, friends were like the most important relationships in their day-to-day life. Those were all taken away, right? And so- there was this whole idea of loneliness and then just the depression of an anxiety of a pandemic really mm-hmm. factored into everybody's kind of consciousness. Right. But what I started to see as we were, things were opening back up, you know, 18 months later, that then there was a big kind of anxiety growing. Like I've kind of had this freedom and a hall pass of not having to deal with these relationships. And now I feel like I'm going back out And I don't want to go back to where I was with a lot of these people or some of these people, but I also don't know how, like, I don't have the tools to be able to communicate that this relationship is no longer serving me. And if I cut these people out, who are going to be my friend? Like, then I'm going to be lonely. So how the hell do I go make a new friend or new friends? Because I'm still kind of working remotely. I don't have exposure to like the social circles that that naturally just come from engaging with people in an office. Oh my God, what are we going to do? So this has become such a complex nightmare for people um, trying to navigate this. And um, yeah. And, and I think, you know, that's why I I'm, I'm so, if anything, it's like the way I want to position this book is just, it's, it's language about how to communicate the way you're feeling and your needs are around these relationships. Because I think that's the thing that's missing right now. When you say things like I was being interviewed right when the book came out by somebody and uh, by Maria Menounos Mm -hmm. and 
Yeah. And she said to me, okay, Aaron, right at the end of the interview, she said to me, okay, Aaron, Aaron, I've got a question for you. And I said, okay, what is it? She said, okay, I have a, a friend. We've been friends for so long. Um, but the last like 10 times we've made plans, concrete plans, like date, place, time plans, not like we should, like we're, we've got, you know, on the books plans without fail the night before or the morning of my friend, um, will text me and say, Oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, I've got a conflict. Can't make it. She goes, look, 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 look." she holds up her phone. She goes, I'm not exaggerating. She scrolls back and I look at him. She goes, what do I do with this friendship? And I said, Maria, I've got news for you. You're not in a friendship with this person. You're in some kind of bizarre relationship, but it's not a friendship because this other person is not committed to you, right? They haven't committed to the friendship. And, um, so let me look at it. Let, let's look at it another way. If you were, if this was a guy that you were dating and the last 10 times that she was like, after the second time he can't, it done. Yeah. Like I wouldn't, I go, so when were you planning on stopping this with the friend? Is it, was it 15 times that she would cancel or 20? So we've got such clear parameters around, uh, again, other types of romantic relationships, but also with family relationships. We're really getting good at carving out space and and, and and being able to talk. And the thing is, we just don't have the language, like in this instance with the friend, on time two or time three, when they cancel, we should be, it should be automatic pilot. Hey, I feel like there's something up with you. We're not connecting. We haven't been able to find a time, but it feels so foreign. And so extra coming again, it's just like, we're talking ourselves out of addressing what's, what's coming up for us within these relationships. And so, you know, and it is funny, like how many times would this friend have had to cancel on you before you said something? Mm -hmm. So either the relationship isn't that important to you but it sounded like it was because she was genuinely bothered and bringing it up and talk to me or the other person, it's not important enough to the other person, or you guys have just gotten a really bad habit and pattern that if you don't resolve it, it's going to break the relationship. So again, it's just learning how to flex these muscles and it, it feels like overthinking, overthinking and like talking ourselves out of things. But once you do it a couple times and once we just start building that muscle, you know, very shortly after it's automatic pilot. I just won't accept this. I will address things when they come up. And again, it doesn't have to be like, we need to talk. It's just about real time being like, hey, what's up with you? What's going on? I feel like we're not connected. It doesn't have to be like a, you know, everything's on the line conversation unless you leave it until everything's on the line, you know. 15 times later and the person's canceling and now you're really pissed. You've created a whole narrative about why this person is canceling on you, which is 99% never true, right? right. Because we're not talking about it though. Mm -hmm. We're like, we need to make up stories to rationalize the other person's behavior. And that's when the problems really start to like, the chasm really starts to build because now this isn't even reality based what's happening between the two of you. There's stories, there's bad habits, but nobody's really addressing um, what are often very simple things that we just, you know, to take it back to my first, the very first thing that started the book with the friend who was chronically late. You know, when I looked back, I was like, nothing, there was no huge betrayal or anything like that. And it, and it rarely is, you know, the media always kind of portrays like 
girlfriends as like drama and stabbing each other in the back or else, you know, bubbly trips to the mani, get mani pedis and spa treatments. And there's like no nuance and no, there's no, there's nothing dynamic. Right. But what happens is it's, and this is what, what actually happens is it's like death by a thousand cuts, not one big drama. And so when you look at it, these things are actually easily salvageable if you're paying attention and willing to advocate for the relationship. We just aren't used to doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you answered exactly what was coming to mind in terms of like, why does it seem like so extra? You know, you said you, you use that and it's true. And I think we do think these things like, oh, I shouldn't say this or say that, or oh, I shouldn't address this or that. But do you think it's maybe not entirely, but definitely in part due to the media having these two polar extremes and us not being. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think it's just like, it's just because we haven't, you know, if you think about like in the 1950s, like romantic relationships, you know, they were, nobody was talking about anything, right? Like it was like the husband's going to work, the wife's staying at home. Again, I'm talking about like traditional roles, but, and nobody's really talking about their feelings in these relationships. Everybody's just kind of doing the status quo. And then something kind of breaks open in the seventies, right? When women start to feel like, Hey, wait a second, you know, for a whole array of things and they start to self-advocate. And now when we look at, and now, you know, and then couples therapy really takes off and women's careers are taking off. And so there's two living, breathing, dynamic, hopefully people in a relationship. And that's really complex, but we started to create language around those complexities right which we never needed in the 50s well we probably needed them but they but they didn't you know nobody thought that we needed them I feel like that's where we are we feel I feel like we're still in the 50s in our friendship like dynamics and I feel like it's just like to now like again having all these clear benchmarks about and boundaries about what we want with romantic relationship they feel like second like Mm -hmm. second nature but if you talk to some a 1950s man or woman in a relationship about some of these ideas, they look at you like, what are you talking about? That sounds crazy. And I feel like that's just where we're at with friendship. We start to talk about these things and it's like, oh, you know, this, this relationship can't hold the weight of this, right? This isn't what these relationships are for. I'm praying that in, you know, five years, this is totally normalized and we're talking like just like we would and like when we break up with a friend you know when you break up when you're in a romantic breakup it's so clear like the grieving process around that right like you if you want to stay in bed for two days or you know sleep in every morning and have a box of tissues and you're crying and you're and you're downloading with your friends like why did this happen why did how did that get into this again and friends are, you know, friends and family are all very supportive, but you have a really, you know, you have a breakup with a friend that you've been friends with for 20 years. Mm-hmm. There's no space for that process. It feels like you're a lunatic. Like mm-hmm. if you stayed in bed one day because you lost a friend of 20 years, not I like broke out, you end up a relationship oh, yeah. after 20 years. Um, the, and these relations, this is the thing we don't realize, like these friendships really have a window into who we are. Right. And so you have a breakup with somebody like that. There's no, there's no, there's no uh, runway to have any kind of emotional recovery about it. It's just like, you feel psychotic if you're even upset about it and, and you don't want to talk about it with other people. Oh. Down, like, so what are we doing with all these 
this emotion, all these, we're just pushing it down and we're not trying to have break up with anybody. We're not sure because there's just nothing in place to deal with the fallout from it. So again, like, I don't think you should necessarily be in bed for three weeks. You know what I mean? And sobbing and losing control in that way. But there should be a process in place of like, wow, an acknowledgement. I just lost. There's a void in my life because of this. And it hurts. And that's okay. And I'm going to talk about it with a couple of friends to so that I can, you know, kind, kind of understand what happened. We don't have any of that. And that's why we don't do a lot of the stuff we need to do. Um all this is all subconscious, of course. But my hope is that when we look at that, you know, the 1950s romantic relation model to where we are now, the same thing can kind of um, apply with friendships. I think we'll all be at a way better place within these relationships when we can clearly communicate, you know, whatever we're going through within them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, the example that you gave is one that I've like exactly been through, like the 20 year, mm-hmm. like since... Um since young childhood I'm almost 30 now so it was uh, and it was like this thing and and until like going through like your work and stuff like that it is kind of this like thing in your mind where you're like okay that needed to end like there's a lot of reasons that it ended like why is this like weighing me down like thank goodness had a girlfriend in common who there was that sounding word for but I'm imagining if there wasn't like it is a it is a sort of death right yes absolutely absolutely part of us Uh yeah yeah so yeah I just really appreciate that you that you speak to that is like is there like a a protocol or is there like do you get people scripts like I think you do actually yes yes honestly the conversation these conversations the, the real difficulty well, first of all, it's, it, you know, it's a difficult process to come to the decision of like, okay, I need to, I need to step away from this relationship. And really, I think the way to view it is you certainly you are ending something, but a nice way to look at it is that you, by ending that you are making space for the right person in your life or the right relationship in your life. Right. And so, um, And just to be clear, because I haven't said this yet. So the book is obviously called how to break up with your friends, but as you know, there's only one chapter on how to break up with your friends. There's nine chapters on the importance of friendship and how to do them a whole lot better. So this isn't about going through your contact list with a machete, right? This is, it's real scalpel work and you might only end up ending like one friendship. You might end up ending none. The I, but The idea is that you should be open to the idea that something might need to end. And it's not necessarily about taking everybody out of your life, but about you being real intentional about where you're going to spend your, the most of your energy and shifting that energy. And that is a lot of the work, right? If you inevitably come to the decision that one of these relationships just needs to be out of your life, then that's a kind of long road. And you really have to sit with that. What does that mean for you? And you need to visualize, and I talk about this all in that chapter, of course, but visualize what is life like without this person? Am I comfortable with that? And really kind of sit in that space. And once you've done that work, that is the hard work. But the the next thing, and I think why people don't do it, is just the beginning of the conversation. How do I find the words to even lead into this conversation, right? Because we never do this. Yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, I, I wrote a couple of, I think like five, something like five scripts based on, again, very general circumstances about how you might get into that conversation um, with the person. And once you just find those, you know, four or five or six opening sentences, it actually is much, much easier to be able to sit into what has actually been going on. And, and um, these conversations don't necessarily be, need to be super, super long, but I think it's just the starting that's really, really, really the tough thing. And the other thing is deciding, you know, how you're going to do it. Ideally, I think you always want to lead with the most courageous and the most respectful, which is either in person or on the phone. But the goal is for your message to be heard. So if you're dealing with somebody particularly emotional or defensive, um, and you know that if you're going to you sit them down and talk to them, this is going to feel like a confrontation, and they're going to just not hear anything and kind of spew it right back at you, then, that, then you don't want to go that course. You want to write like a really you know, kind of thorough, nice email so that they person can get worked up and upset, but then have something to maybe come back to and maybe be able to retain some of, you know, the essence of what you're trying to communicate. Um, but again, breaking up with somebody full stop is like the absolute, you know, that's the last, you're not necessarily trying to get there. What you're trying to do is be really clear on what your needs are and then shifting your energy around within the relationships that you have. And then looking for, if you, if you, you know, looking at your kind of starting lineup of friendships and saying, now, Nate, based on what I know my needs to be and my wants to be, might I need to go fill some spots, right? Am I missing some people's? Do I have, do I have the nostalgic friends, the people that feel just like home? But do I have the people that challenging challenge me? Do I have a dynamic roster of friends that have a different upbringing than me or a different, you know, view on the world? You want to have the same core values mm -hmm. as everybody, of course. That's very important that you have the same core values of as all of your friends, especially your your close, you know, your, your, your tier one friends. Um, but you want to bring in as much color as you can. Like you want to open the aperture up and say, do I have people that grew up in a different way that have, um, you know, different, different religion, different, you know, did they come from a family of 10 and I'm an only child Do do I have, or every one of my friends, 28, Okay. Or, you know, or 20, but on the age range of 27 and 29. Okay. Well, there's something to be said for the wiser friend and something to be said for the younger friend, you know, the, so you really start, want to start to look at what can really open the aperture because the more dynamic your friend profile, the more dynamic your self-exploration is. These relationships pull different parts of you out and awaken different parts of you. And so if everybody looks the same, talks the same, has the same, you know, ideas as you, it becomes an echo chamber, right? And it might feel good and safe, but that's also the, the least possibility for growth as an individual. So yeah, well, I forgot. Yeah. So we started by talking about breaking up, but again, it's like, it's about making space for the most dynamic you're, you're the most dynamic version of you. And that's going to be people that really show up in different ways 
and bring out different parts of you. And so sometimes that's why you do need to free up a space on that bench. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you spoke to that. And it's just, it's so clear. I mean, not just in your work, but in the way that you speak, of course, as well, but just like, just how much thought that there can be in this whole thing, because I know in my life, I, I changed like by making myself conscious of one thing, which was how I wanted to feel, which was never something I thought about growing up. Right. Probably because like we were talking about the pool is so small. So I just thought, well, this is how it is. And just that one thing already changed so much. So now I'm thinking integrating all of, or at least starting with pieces of what you're talking about and then going deeper into the work that you provide people through your book, through um, just the way that you communicate in general um, is, I can only imagine super transformational for your life. Uh, yeah, that's that's the hope. I think we've got nowhere to go but up, honestly, in these relationships. <laughs> you said an important point. People are always saying like, do I like her? Do I, you know, do... Um, it's less about obviously you want to like the person that but that's you're still starting removed from I think where you need to be and you said the right thing how do I feel when I'm in this relationship that is the best litmus test at all and you just got to start to pay attention when the phone rings and you see this person's name on the call display do you jump to get it or do you go ah you know is there is there hesitation is there resistance right when you're sitting with them and then you have a drink or dinner or whatever a coffee or tea when you leave do you feel energized or do you feel depleted do you feel like you're when you're with that person you're old you're really your true self or do you feel like you're putting on some aspects to kind of make that energy work when you're with that person this is great information to have that we're never really paying attention to and so that's the question i would ask how do i feel when i'm with this person when i'm in relationship to this person and and that gives you a lot of information you don't need a lot more information than that other than how did I get to that point? If it's bad, if it's not good, how did I get there? And is it something I'm willing to work on to solve, right? And then you got to kind of look macro at the landscape of that relationship and where you're at. And is this still the right relationship for me, right? Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. And I'm, I'm assuming your own life, you being like guinea pig number one, I am <laughs> sure you've been through, you know, the whole, yes. of, as you were saying, with speaking to the self-development that I'm sure you've garnered through this whole process. Yeah, it's been pretty transformational for sure. Wow. Oh my God, you're so, such a wealth of knowledge. I honestly, we could have just gone on, but why don't we just for the sake of time, just like share your book where it can be found and then you yourself and anything that comes to mind. Um. So the book is available basically anywhere you buy books, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Indie Booksellers, um, Chapters in Canada. Um. I am online at my blog, Pick the Brain, and for social and all things at Erin Falconer or at Pick the Brain. Amazing. Thank you so much, Erin. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us on the North Star Podcast. I am so grateful for your time and your presence. If you want to chime in on the conversation, you can send me a DM at MacBalCastro on Instagram. I mean it when I say that I'm really always happy to hear from you, be it with regards to your insights gleaned from this episode or with regard to your own unfolding journey at large. I do believe that we each have our own North Star and it's our duty to do the inner work to get to know ourselves so that we can live in harmony with our souls 
carry out our calling, and serve others with the gifts we have each been uniquely blessed with in this lifetime. Thank you again for joining us, and I'll see you next time.